listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. This needs to be heard. Generational curses and how to change the course or direction of your personal family. This is a very important subject. People are taught, I don't know if it's because, you know, you know, there's like a mystical aspect to so many churches that they they get more into demon power than they do into God's power. They're always talking about demons and the darkness. And, you know, they're always focusing on what's evil in the world. And you heard me kind of mocking that a little on the pre-roll video. Um, but, you know, they don't put sufficient uh, attention on God and his power. And they're always focused on demons and demonic power. But God's power is much greater. So I want you, I want you to think about this. Um, as you think about uh, generational curses, one thing I want to say right off the top of the broadcast as we're getting into this, <laughs> thank you, Kelly, is this. And I, this is where I was preaching from in the clip that you, you just watched. But I'm in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 23. This is a great story to back this thought process up. Numbers chapter 23. And turn there if you have your Bible open or maybe your phone open to the Bible app. But in Numbers 23, and let me give you a little background as to what's happening. King Balak wants to destroy Israel. He wants to destroy God's people. But he finds that he really can't do it. Uh, because they're protected by God. And so he even understands the power of of the prophetic uh, word and the power of God's prophetic voice. And so what he tries to do is that he approaches a prophet whose name is Balaam, and he tries to bribe him. Basically, he offers him money, a bribe, to prophetically... (laughs) curse God's people. And so he says, listen, if you'll, I want to destroy them. If you will curse them on behalf of God, I will then be able to destroy them and overtake them. And so Balaam basically says, you know, it's like, I don't know if you know how prophecy works or not, but I have to consult the Lord and see what he has to say about it. And so Balaam now, um, inquires of the Lord, you know, what should I say regarding these people? What should I say regarding Israel and your people? How do you want me to, um, what do you want me to declare about them? And basically, (laughs) this is what happened. As he goes and speaks to the Lord, (laughs) I love this. As he goes to speak to the Lord, the Lord's like, how are you going to curse my people? (laughs) I've I've not found any fault with my people. I've actually blessed them. I've blessed my people. So now Balaam has to go back to the king, Balak, and and he has to say this. This is Numbers 23, verses 20 and 21. This is what he has to give as an answer to the king after inquiring of the Lord and after taking the king's money. He said, behold, I have received a command to bless because he has blessed, talking about God, he has blessed and I cannot revoke it. Think about that. God has blessed these people 
and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. I'll go further. God, Verse 22, God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox. He's starting to talk about God's with these people. Verse 23, for there is no enchantment against Jacob and there's no divination against Israel. <laughs> now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold a people. As a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey. It has drunk the blood of the slain. <laughs> and so it backfires on this king. I told you to curse them, and you've blessed them. That's what he says. I told you to curse them, and you've blessed them. Yeah, because you understand how it works, don't you? He was a prophet. And of course, you know, later, uh, later he was punished for this because it was wicked what he was doing, taking money. Uh, you know, it, you can't pay to prophesy, but you know, he's punished by God for this later. And of course we know he ends up practicing witchcraft and other things to try to do, uh, what the King wants. And so it becomes wicked, but, um, you understand how prophetic works. You can't just come up with a prophetic word on your own. You have to hear what God said, and then you say it. And so the king's trying to uh, put together a false or a fabricated prophetic curse on God's people. And God said, who, who do you think you're talking to? I'm the one who blesses, and I've blessed them. I've not cursed them. I've not find, found anything against them. I've blessed them, and you can't revoke it. And so Balaam had to say, I cannot curse them because I've received a command to bless them because he's blessed them. I can't revoke his blessing and uh, he's not beheld any misfortune or seen trouble with Israel. So you can't go against what God has declared against the people. Hallelujah. Let me just say that again. You can't go against what God has commanded upon a people. If God has commanded it upon his people, who is going to tell him no? Who is going to contradict the almighty God? If God placed his hand of blessing on you and on your family, tell me. Now think about it. This was a prophet of God we're talking about. This was Balaam, a prophet of God. So obviously, a prophet of God is at a higher position than a, wit, a witch, a warlock, a wizard, which if you think that's only in Disney movies, you don't understand what's going on in the world. There are people that practice witchcraft in the world. There are people that practice dark magic in the world. You just go to these some, other, uh, some of these other nations where it's practiced often. You go to some of these nations in Africa or in India or in some of these other places, even Mexico, where these things are practiced. Oh, and demonic power is practiced. And it is something that people pursue. And there is demonic manifestation that takes place. But I want you to hear something. It's never even close to as powerful as the power of God. I'll tell you something right now, and you you may you may listen to this, or maybe if you're if you're new to this channel or if you if you're new to my broadcast, you might think I'm just a total nut job. 
You might just think I'm a total nut job. But I've talked to people that have watched it happen. Think about this. I've I've talked to people, eyewitnesses that have watched, not nutty people, not not weird people, people that are um, people in authority of, of uh, you know, for example, I'll give you an example. I was sitting down having dinner with the head of the church of God for Nigeria. He was the head over the whole church of God in Nigeria. We had dinner in Jacksonville, Florida. And this was years ago, years ago, probably almost 10 years ago, a little less than that. And I, I was I was looking at some of, you've heard us reference on the broadcast, Pastor Enoch Adeboye, Bishop David Oyedepo, they're both in Nigeria. Um, you've heard us m- mention and, and, and reference their books and their teaching. And uh, I was going through their prayer points that we use prayer points. Obviously, we give them to you for free. But I was I was looking at some of their prayer points and, and they didn't make sense to me. And I said, what in the world is this? And I'm reading it. And the prayer point says, we take authority over our airspace and no evil thing can fly through our airspace. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder, they must have government helicopters or, you know, because I know there's a lot of Islamic control in some of these nations. And um, I said, well, maybe they have government helicopters or something flying over their compounds and trying to you know, uh, hinder their meetings or trying to stop what they're doing as a body of believers. Maybe it's just government pressure that they're talking about as they're praying over their airspace. Maybe they've had people fly private jets through and try to drop things on. And I, and I, I didn't understand what the prayers were for. I said, what is that? We, we take authority over our airspace. And so I was sitting at dinner with this man who's the head of the church of God in Nigeria. And uh, I asked him about it. And of course he lives there and, and he is Nigerian. I said, what, is, what are these prayer points about? I said, what is this? We, we, we take authority over our airspace. He said, well, we don't talk about these things a lot in the States because people in the United States don't see these things like we see them and don't have them happen like we have them happen. He said, but there are people in Nigeria and other nations in Africa and in India and other places that practice wicked, dark, evil magic where they're actually sacrificing humans and drinking their blood for demonic power. I mean, literally, literally. Uh, to take a side note here, one of one of the <clears throat> excuse me, one of the prayer points that I had said we take authority over every person who kills the innocent and drinks their blood for political power or political gain. I'm thinking, my God, you know what's what's going on in these nations. So. There is sacrificial magic that people don't know about, witches and wizards and warlocks that are actually doing these things, wicked things, for demonic power. And so he said, we've got these things going on in these nations. He said, but one thing people don't know, he said, is that these, these wizards, these witches, now this isn't a nut job. This guy is the head of the church of God in all of the nation of Nigeria. And and he said, now listen, why Pastor Adeboye and those uh, are, are praying like that. He said, you have these witches and wizards that will meet together at night. Of course, they tell you, if you're not, if you're not Holy Ghost, stay off the roads in some of these places because you go out walking at night. I've heard Bishop Oyedepo tell stories about this, that they're waiting alongside the road 
to actually abduct people and take them into the woods and sacrifice them and, you know, drink their blood. And so uh, he said that they're at night, they'll meet together. They'll have these, uh, the meeting of the witches, wizards, warlocks, whatever. He said, but what people don't know is that by demonic power, they will fly through the air to their meetings, literally. And I, not with a broom, it's not Harry Potter. He said they will actually fly through the air to their meetings to meet together by demonic power. And, uh, and he said, so the reason that they pray like that, he said that they completely sanctify their compound, they sanctify their property, that no demonic power can go flying through our property, our airspace. When they're starting to pray over their airspace, like, my God, we're sanctifying this. This belongs to God. Demonic power can't just fly through here. And he said the craziest thing, he said, we don't mention it a lot because people just think it's, you know, wives' tales or some things that weird Christians have made up in other nations. He said, but they've had it happen in Pastor Adeboye's meetings. They've had it happen in Bishop Oyedepo's meetings, especially outdoors, that while they're holding crusade meetings <clears throat> at night, they will have witches drop out of the sky and land on the ground inside the meeting and, and, and freak out. Well, what happened? He's saying what's happening is as they've prayed and asked God to do, as those witches or wizards fly through their airspace where they're, um, where they're holding crusades, the moment they enter their domain where they're holding Holy Ghost meetings, demonic power, witches, wizards, warlocks lose their demonic force and power. And as they're flying, they get hit by the power of the Holy Ghost and literally even lose their ability to float or fly, drop right out of the air and hit the ground inside those compounds. And it freaks the witches out, he said. It freaks them out because they're not used to having their power stripped from them like that. And I heard uh, I heard Bishop Oyedepo tell a story that... Um, yeah, listen to Brandon Wanunu said T.L. Osborne had one of those witches manifest in the middle of a crusade and start floating around. And God, you know, God get to, God got the glory when he smashed to the ground. Exactly right. Because the power of God is greater than the power of the devil. And I thought, why are they praying like that? That's why they're praying like that. So if you I heard I heard Bishop Oedepo tell a story. He said he was just coming down the road you know, or where he's at, you know, close to Ota, Nigeria, just north north of Lagos. And uh, as he was coming, he saw those people on the road. And uh, he noticed that they moved off of the road as he was coming. And he stopped and talked to them. What are you doing here? And they were honest with him about it. They said, we wait here. We can sense when people are coming down the road. So you think about this. They can sense in their spirit demonically that people are coming down the road. And he said, why did you move off the road? And they said, because we felt you coming and we could sense that your power is greater than our power. Think about that. We can sense that your power is greater than our power. So we moved out of your way. Thank you, Jesus. Why is his power greater than their power? Why is your power greater than their power? The Bible says you are from God, little children, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. 
And so there is no demonic force or power that is greater than what's on the inside of us. That's foolish. In fact, those of you that are watching Periscope, YouTube, Facebook, I want you to write it in the comments. The greater one is in me. Write it and declare it today. The greater one is in me. That right there is the power of God at work. The greater one. We quote that, you know, it makes me laugh because in, in uh, Western Christianity, we put, we put these verses of scripture to such little use. You know, having a bad day at work. We've had several people that were just nasty to me. And I just keep reminding myself that the greater one's on the inside of me. Well, let me just tell you something. Somebody making fun of you or get, being nasty to you at lunch is not what 1 John 4, 4 is about. You know, somebody was just in the, said some really harsh things to me in the parking lot before I got in my car, but I just had to remind myself that the greater one, no, that's not what that verse is for. The power of Antichrist is at work. There's an actual war being waged that we've already won because of the blood of Jesus. And the devil's too stupid to realize he's already lost. So he keeps kicking and scratching and fighting to try to seek whom he may devour, the Bible says. But let me tell you, the power of the greater one that's on the inside of you, it's greater than demon and demo demons and demonic activity. It's greater than sicknesses and diseases. It's greater than issues of the mind. It's greater than poverty and lack. The real issues of life, the greater one is great. Because I said this yesterday when I was preaching. If the greater one is in you, you have to ask yourself, what is he greater than? If the greater one is in you, what is he greater than? He's greater than every demonic work of the devil. And so I wanted to start because I wanted to show you that in, in, the, in Numbers chapter 23, that even a prophet, yes, Karen, that's correct. And I'm getting ready to get into that right now. That's exactly right. The curse is not lifted. It is demolished by the power of God. And so I want you to hear this, <clears throat> that if you are a believer, if you, and I'll deal with three types of curses today in this broadcast, because I'm talking about generational curses. If you are a believer and God has placed his blessing upon you, Andrew's asking, why is it that witches and demonic power manifest more in remote parts of the world? Here in the Western world, you don't really see anyone fly or anything like that. One of the reasons is, is because these uh, demonic things are more uh, prevalent in nations like that, where there are far more false religions that have been ingrained in the population. The places, you know, you go to India, where if you're a Hindu, there's over 10,000 Hindu gods, 10,000. And so you have these nations that were not founded uh, by people who are Christians like, like America was. And so you've got nations where this is going back in the culture for thousands of years. It's been ingrained in the culture. It's part of the identity of the nation, demonic worship. And so these things have been given freedom in these nations and they have to be broken by Holy Spirit power. Whereas America was not founded on demonic religion. It was not founded on, uh, you know, e even if you go over to places in Western Europe, 
where you had the Church of England going far back and, you know, not not founded on demonic religions and, uh, you know, polytheism and the worship of false gods. So where you have that root taking place is a place where it's been a part of the culture for so long that it's accepted and just understood that that's what happens here. If you gave, if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. Remember that. If you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. And so um, one thing you need to understand, and it's very important that you understand this, is that once you become a, a Christian, a new creation in Christ, every wicked thing that had power to curse you before no longer has power to curse you. People talk about generational curses among Christians. I don't believe. Wow, that's a much higher a much higher number than I knew about. Deepa says there's 330 million Hindu gods. I was with a man in, in South Africa uh, last year whose father was a Hindu priest, and he gave me a, a much lower number. But Deepa's saying 330 million. So look at that. Look at that. And so understand something. If you're a Christian, nobody can curse what God has blessed. And I do not believe, and I don't believe you can prove it from the word of God, that generational curses can continue in the life of a believer. Now, I'll explain what does happen in a moment. But you cannot be under a curse and be a believer at the same time. You cannot be under a curse and be a believer at the same time. Think about this. The curse of a demon. The, the curse of a devil. You cannot be. It is not possible because I want you to think of this. I want you to answer this in the comments section. Can can the devil curse Jesus Christ? Somebody answer it. Everyone answer it in the in the comments section. Can the devil curse Jesus Christ? I want you to, while I take a swig of a delicious beverage, and we thank everybody, all, all of our friends at Sunkist for sponsoring the broadcast. Please answer it. People are beginning to answer. Can the devil curse Jesus Christ? I'm waiting for all of your answers. I'm seeing a whole lot of no's. I saw one hell no. I saw two hell no's. No, 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 no. Okay, it seems pretty uh, one-sided here on the broadcast that, <laughs> that everybody believes that the devil cannot curse Jesus Christ. Second question, <clears throat> are you part of the body of Christ? Answer that one, everybody in the comments. Are you a part of the body of Christ? Yes or no? Are you a part of the body of Christ? Because this is the next major logical question we have to ask. If the devil cannot curse Christ and I am part of his body, how could he curse me? If the devil can't curse Christ and I am a part of Christ, how can the devil curse me? Impossible. 
He can't curse God. He can't curse Jesus. And he can't curse the body of Christ, who is Jesus. It's like I've said to you many times before. If I introduce you to uh, introduce myself to you, I don't tell you that my head's name is Ted, that my arms are Bill and Jim, and my torso is Eric. I don't break my body down into different names and then introduce every member. Let me introduce you to my 10 fingers. Nobody does that that has, you know, that's not insane. Because all of me is Ted. All of me is Ted. That means my head is Ted, but the rest of my body is also Ted. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter one that, uh, and, and let me just read it to you because it, it, would, it bears reading again. I, I read it yesterday. I'll read it again today. Because until people get this revelation, they're going to have the same issues in their life over and over and over. Listen to this. The Bible says, the, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Ephesians 1.19, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come and put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. If all you did for the whole rest of the month of April was only read those four verses, 19, 20, that's five, 21, 22, 23. Just read those five verses nonstop for the rest of April and let that thing get into your spirit and into your mind. It would be enough. It would be enough to understand God made Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. We are Christ because we are his body. If I'm his body, I am him. Amen. If I'm his body, I am him. Think about that. If I'm his body, it'd be like if I was playing hide and seek with my little son and he went to hide somewhere and I'm walking around the house looking for him and I can see that his little fingers are on the outside of a door that he's standing behind. Well, I could point at that and say, I see little Teddy. And someone could, you think someone's going to argue with me and say, no, no, you don't see Teddy. You just see his fingers. You don't, that's not him. You're just looking at his fingers. No, his fingers are him. You wouldn't say, well, you know, I don't see Teddy, but I see his fingers. No, his fingers are a part of his body. So his fingers are him. His fingers are him. And in the same way, you don't say I'm not Christ because you're his feet or because you're his hands, or because you're his arms, or because you're his legs. You don't say, I'm not Christ, because you're a member of his body. And Paul taught the Corinthian church that we're all members, in particular, of the body of Christ. And what he was teaching was that no matter what part of his body you are, don't say to the other parts, I don't need you. Right? You, you would never say, well, I have eyes, so I don't need ears. Nobody would say that in their right mind. 
I've got eyes, so I don't need ears. Nobody would say, I've got a nose, so I don't need a mouth. Every part is needed. And that's the point Paul was making. So you don't say, I'm not Christ because you're not the head of the church. He's the head of the church, but you're still a part of his body, which means you are him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what a Christian is, part of Christ. I am a Christian. I am a little Christ on the earth. I am a part of his body. I'm Abraham's seed. I'm an heir to the promise. Why? I've been put inside of Christ. Hallelujah. I've been put inside of Christ. And so if I am in Christ, if I am part of his body, think about this. If I am Christ because I'm his, whether I'm his fingers or hands or feet, whether I'm his toes, whether I'm his legs, whether I'm his torso, doesn't matter what part we make up, we are him. And if we're him, then we are seated far above every name that is named and all power, authority, dominion, every name that is named. So what does that mean? If the devil can't curse Christ, he can't curse you. Thank you, Jesus. Brandon's breaking out the old songs from Children's Church. I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. We used to sing that all the time. And then you get a little bit faster. <laughs> Till nobody could do it. It's just a tongue twister. If And I want you to write this in the comments. And I put it in the book, Blood on the Door. What cannot harass Christ cannot harass me. If it can't harass Jesus, it can't harass me. Put it in the comments. If it can't harass Jesus, it can't harass me. Bottom line, how can I be generationally cursed if Christ can't be generationally cursed? You see that? If it can't curse Jesus, it can't curse me. If it can't harass Jesus, it can't harass me. How could I and my family be generationally cursed if Christ can't be generationally cursed? What do you think? God had a, a curse on him and then he passed that down to Jesus who passed it on to the Holy Spirit, you know, who passed it on to the angels. It's like ridiculous. It's ridiculous. If it can't harass Christ, it can't harass me. Why? I am Christ on the earth. I am a part of his body. And so generational curses, first of all, generational curses, total lie for the believer. I'm not saying they don't exist for the unbeliever. I'm saying for the believer. You know, you hear Mackenzie, let me, let me, let me make a mention of this because I want to break down what people are actually experiencing. We're in a new family, by the way. We're in a new family. So I've got a new family tree. Bible says, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old life is gone, passed away. And behold, all things have become new. All things. All things. Not some things, all things. Thank you, Jesus. And so we're in a new family tree, new bloodline, new everything's new. Behold, all things have become new. Not some things, all things. The old is passed away. It's dead. It's gone. It doesn't even exist anymore. And behold. I like the word behold because it means take a look. 
take a look and see. All things have been made new. This will, I'm going to tell you, this will stir somebody up today to jump into your own freedom and stop letting the devil mess with you and by faith realize I cannot be cursed. So a generational curse for a believer is non-existent. It's non-existent. It's non-existent. The curse of the law, that's number two. The curse of the law is no longer on us. For Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse pronounced by the law. So not only can generational curses not be on us, the curse of the law is not on us. And then, of course, as you saw, the curse of demonic men. Well, how can a demonic man curse what God has blessed? God's promise to Abraham was in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. What did he say? I will bless those who bless you. And then what will I do? I will curse those that curse you. That was God speaking. That was to the Abrahamic covenant he was referring, talking to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. Well, what does Galatians chapter three and verse 29 say? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I have become part of the family of Abraham. So the same blessing that extended to him and his descendants extends to me and to you. And what did God say? I will bless those that bless you. And I will curse those that curse you. It's even in a witch and wizard's best interest to never try to pronounce a curse on me or my family. Because I don't have to do a thing. If you curse me, if you try to curse my family, God said he'll stand up on his throne in heaven and curse you. Thank you, Jesus. I will curse those that curse you. Let me tell you, I don't have to curse anybody. The curse of God is enough. (laughs) The curse of God is enough. So, Mike, I'm getting ready to get into this because it needs to be talked about. And I'm going to get to that question in just a second. But I want you to hear what I'm saying. You can't be cursed. You're not under the curse of the law. You're not under the curse of uh, generational curses. And you're not under the curse of evil men, witches, wizards, whoever. They can't curse you because God said, I'll bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. It's like when we were little, we used to say, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. (laughs) That's how it works in the body of Christ. Any curse that's sent against you is returned to sender in Jesus' mighty name. He said, I will curse those that curse you. So you can't be cursed. That's why I did a whole chapter in this book, if you can't see it, called Uncursable. You are uncursable. There it is. You are uncursable, cannot be cursed, cannot be cursed. I can't be cursed. So now let's get into this. So what is this that people talk about? Let's get into this. What what are people talking about really when they reference, well, you know, we just have a generational curse in our family. Oh, really? You're, you're saved, you've been blessed by God, but somehow a generational curse has just slipped on through. Let me explain to you what, what, when Christians are saying a generational curse, let me tell you what is actually happening. 
because people are asking, what's an example of a generational curse? What, you know, this, that, uh, what, what about strongholds and oppression? How, how do we define Mackenzie S? How do you, how are we defining what, what a curse is? Let me talk about this. And Mike McConnell on Facebook asks, do you think some new believers use generational curses as an excuse to continue sinning in that area? Addiction, for example. I've seen people get saved but continue to struggle in areas and wonder if it's because one, they're not completely sold out to Jesus, and two, they believe a lie that they cannot escape the generational curse that they're under. And let's let's talk about that. So if a believer sees something in their life and says, well, you know, it's because we've got gener it's first of all, it's poor teaching. They've been taught wrongly that they're under a generational curse. As I've just showed you from scripture, it is impossible for a believer to be cursed by the devil in any capacity, in any capacity. So what are they dealing with? What are they facing? I'll tell you what they're facing. And I'll tell you how, how it plays out in every person's life because people are asking, well, what is it? Number one, they're facing their flesh. The book is on Amazon, Joseph. Number one, they're facing their flesh. What does the Bible say in regards to the flesh and the spirit? I want you to look at Galatians chapter five with me. Look at this. Galatians chapter five. Very important scripture. 17th verse. Listen. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So what's what's Paul teaching us here? That the flesh is constantly at war with the spirit. The flesh is constantly at war with the spirit of God in you and your human spirit. What does that mean? It means the majority of what people are facing in their Christian life is the fact that they've not harnessed by the power of God their flesh. They have not harnessed by the power of God, their flesh. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I have to put my flesh under on a daily basis so that after having preached to others, I will not become disqualified. You see that? I will not become disqualified. He was saying that if I don't control my flesh, it will disqualify me from the goodness and the power of God and ultimately from my eternal reward. The desires of the flesh are opposed to the desires of the spirit. So it's not just that, but let me go further. It's also learned behavior. Learned behavior. And that can heavily affect your family. Heavily affect your family. What do I mean by that? Well, somebody may say, well, Brother Ted, you know, um, my family has had type 2 diabetes for the last, you know, six generations. My great-great-grandmother had diabetes. 
My great-grandmother had diabetes. My grandmother had diabetes. My mother had diabetes. And now I'm starting to find the symptoms of diabetes in my own life. So see, it's a generational curse. It just keeps running through the family. Well, look at some of the things that happen because of learned behaviors in the family. Look, I mean, like, I'm not trying to, like, make natural things that everybody thinks is spiritual, but some things are natural. Some things are like Paul taught. The flesh is taking control of your spirit life. And then you call it a demon. Well, let me tell you something. And I'm not being unkind, nor am I condemning. I'm just saying, go back and look at learned behaviors that have become the normal in your family. You know, if every morning you're loading yourself down with biscuits and sausage gravy and greasy bacon and, you know, eating fast food nonstop and at night you polish it off with six pieces of cake and you've got everybody in your family that's 100 pounds overweight and their pancreas can't push out insulin fast enough to deal with the sugar levels in their blood and that's the kind of eating and learned behavior that your family has gone with for six generations... Well, that's what we eat. We, you know, we like to, we start our day with biscuits and gravy and sausage gravy and bacon. And we have to carbs and toast and we have cake every night. We eat ice cream with every meal. And, you know, that's not a demon. That's learned behavior that is destroying your physical body has nothing to do with a demon whatsoever. So what we're going to tell you, we, we've had generational curses that you go back six generations and our families had type two diabetes. Well, you start to look at it. It's not a demon at all. It has nothing to do with the devil. It's that there are learned behaviors that people have not controlled their flesh. They've not controlled their flesh. I'll give you another example about health. The majority of people that are sick in America are sick because they won't control uh, their flesh. It's bottom line. They don't need to be on a medication. They could be literally taking care with wisdom of their physical body and most of the things that they're battling would leave them. Most things. Can I tell you um, that the, um, you think about this. You think about the fact that the majority of Americans are anxious and depressed. Amen. Amen. Kelly's, Kelly's giving a testimony. Diabetes runs in my family too, but I broke that off me and my kids. I do not eat the way that I was brought up to eat. That's exactly right. So what's she doing? She's not sitting around saying, well, you know, there's a generational curse on the Frederick family. No, she recognizes that there are things you can do in the natural to actually take your flesh into control and say, I refuse and I'll use wisdom and wisdom is the principal thing. And wisdom will cause me to abound and be blessed and be healed. You see that? And so understand, well, of course, I mean, unless you have type one diabetes, all diabetes is self-inflicted. You know, people can say, people can say that it's, it's hereditary as much as they want to say that. But let me just tell you something. People Don't say, well, I I know people that aren't heavy and have type two diabetes. Yes. And doctors have proven that you can be what they call skinny fat, which means even though you're, you're not, you don't look big, the insides of you look like a person who is obese because you don't take care of your body. It is the temple of the Holy spirit and it's to be taken care of. It's to be kept for the Lord and wisdom is to be used 
uh, in it. But understand, it's not a generational curse. Go back and look at some of the things that are happening. Let me give you another example in case you think I'm harping on people that are that don't eat properly. And you're not looking at a guy that's like the uh, poster child for like healthy eating. I, I ate McDonald's for, for lunch yesterday. So don't think I'm like on a high horse talking down to you. I have a, a heavy love for Taco Bell. So don't think you're talking to some nutritionist on the broadcast today that has like 16 nutritional plans to change your life. I do the same things many people do, but you have to learn to just do it if you're going to do it in moderation. And, you know, exercise your body. Don't sit down for 16 hours of your day and think that your body's going to be fine. Walk. At the very least, walk. You know, one of the things that started changing my life is you know, starting to just walk every day, walk three, four miles a day. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. And so take care of this body. Yeah. You can tell, you know, uh, you're not talking to a nutritionist today, but I'm just saying, don't call it, don't call it a generational curse when it's something that people are inflicting upon themselves. You, you see what I mean? And so one of the points I want to make to you is this, go on further and, and think of another area of somebody's life. Well, brother, you know, for our whole lives, we've just had a generational curse where nobody's ever had any money in our family. We've just been poor, you know, six generations back, paycheck to paycheck, can't break out of debt, can, you know, can never do it. And then you look, you look at the learned behaviors that are being passed on from generation to generation, right? You look at the things they do with their money. Look at the things people do with their money. Well, you know, our family, one of the things we always like to do is, uh, you know, pay, on payday, we always buy, you know, we're doing scratch offs at 7-Eleven. We're, you know, we got to, we, we, listen, we're going to win that lottery one day. Just tossing their money away on stupid things. They'll play the lottery. I love that. I love that D Dave Ramsey calls it a stupid tax. <laughs> play in the lottery. What else do people do? Spend everything they have. And the Bible says a fool does that. Fools spend all that they have, the Bible says. Oh man, guess what? We got our uh, tax returns getting ready to come back. Somebody's about to party. We're getting ready to go on a mini vacation. Got the tax return money coming back. And they spend all that they have. What do they do? People going out buying cartons and cartons of cigarettes. Think how much money you would save as a family if you just got out of smoking cigarettes. People live beyond their means and they've been taught by their parents to live beyond their means. They've been taught. They've been taught that if you want something right now, doesn't matter if you have the money for it or not, put it on a credit card at 22% interest and go buy that thing. Go buy it now. Even though you can't afford it, even though you don't need it, go buy it now. That's what their parents have taught them. Well, everybody in America's got credit card debt. Yes, they do because they've been taught to just do what they feel right now, instead of making sure that they have the means to do it. Nick told us the other day, 85% of Americans have close to $20,000 of credit card debt right now. The average American has to go paycheck to paycheck because they are in a position of lack. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they don't make enough money. It has everything to do with the fact that they live beyond their means. The flesh, what are we talking about? The flesh has taken over. 
And then people get up, well, pray for us. We're financially strapped. It's a generational curse that's flowed through my family for the last five years and, or five generations and nobody's ever had any money. We've always gone paycheck to paycheck and we've always done this, that. It's not that you're under a generational curse. Now, some people might be in a place of lack because they're not obeying the word of God. They're not tithing. They're not giving and they're spending all they have. But look what Scotty said. I grew up on layaway plans. Not just layaway plans, but rent-a-center stuff. Rent-a-center. Right? Praise God, Mackenzie. That's what I want to see from this younger generation. She said, my husband and I are working on being debt-free, not living in that pattern. We just bought a car cash. That's exactly, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So you start to look at these things. It's not a generational curse. It's learned behaviors. Our parents, others, grandparents, whoever went before us taught us, if we want it now, we get it now. I thank God for a father who had everything calculated. He knew everything, where it was going, how it was going. And to this day, has everything calculated, carries his own notepad and knows where everything's at, knows what's coming in, knows what's going out, knows what's in saving, knows everything and lives debt-free in his ministry. He's been debt-free for decades. I thank God for that. That's a picture. I always knew growing up with my father, he'd sit down at the table. Let's take a look at it. Get, pull out a, a yellow legal notepad and a pen or a flare and sit at the table. Well, let's look at it. What, what's the, let's look at what's the budget. Where's the budget at? You know, understands. Well, that gets passed down. That's not a, a, a generational curse. It's just learned behavior. It's wisdom. That's why the Bible teaches us to train up our children in the way they should go, in the way they should go. That doesn't just mean to go to church. It doesn't just mean to read the Bible. It means teach them and train them in godly principles. Teach them, train them in godly principles. One of the things we teach our daughters, and I've taught my daughter Madeline, we t- I mean, my kids, before they could do math, understood how to tithe, what 10% was. Teach them and train them. You'll, you'll know how to tithe if you live in this house. You'll know how to give if you live in this house. You'll know how to save if you live in this house. Teaching our children, teaching them and training them what is right. What are we doing? We're passing on wisdom from God that will cause you to flourish and abound. And abound. Hallelujah. And abound. Thank you, Jesus. Important. And knowing what you should do. I'm not, I mean, this is, I'm not doing a broadcast on it, how to have financial wisdom. I'm telling you, it's not a generational curse. There's nobody in America that works. Hear what I'm saying. There's nobody in America that works a job that should have financial issues. I want you to hear what I'm saying. We live in a country that is so far beyond blessed compared to other nations of the world, there is no one in this nation that works a job that should have financial problems. Do you know why they do have them? Because they want to look good in front of their friends, period. That's it. Very, very small amount of people have financial issues because of tragedies that have happened. And there are those people a medical emergency, you know, something like that happened to them and they didn't have insurance or they couldn't pay their medical bills. A very small amount of people in America that that's their story. The majority, they just want to look good in front of their friends. They want those new shoes. They want those new clothes. They want that new car smell. 
They want that new $1,200 cell phone. Why? I can't imagine walking around with last year's cell phone. What would my friends think of me if I walked around with last year's cell phone? I'd look like a bum. I mean, that's how people think. That's exactly how people think. And listen, nothing wrong with buying the newest, latest, and greatest if you have the money to do it and can afford it. It's, that's different than going out and putting everything on a payment plan and on a 20% uh, interest credit card and putting yourselves under mounds of credit card debt. No. What does the Bible say a godly man does? Leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You are not wealthy enough in God's eyes unless you've got enough money to leave to your children and your grandchildren. Think about that. Think about that. You are not wealthy enough in God's eyes unless you have enough cash to leave an inheritance to your children and your grandchildren. That's exactly why people are, it's not a generational curse. It's not a generational curse. Absolutely not. It's learned behavior. The Bible says that you're to train up a child in the way that they should go. Train them up in the way that, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. That wisdom gets into you. One of the best things that you you could understand, Robert Kiyosaki wrote a very famous book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he, the one dad was his father. The other dad was his friend's father that was like an entrepreneur. And he said that his, his, his birth father always struggled financially. And he looked at the lessons that his birth father taught him about money and about life and about business. And then he looked at the lessons that his friend's father taught him about money and about life and about business. And in the book, he contrasts the wisdom that was being passed down from the previous generation from both sides. And he began to understand why his family stayed poor with the mindset that they had and why his father, his friend's father's family stayed wealthy with the mindset that they had. It had nothing to do with opportunities. It had to do with what they knew by wisdom and how they took action on that wisdom. You understand? So it has to do, it has to do with the wisdom of God. That's why the book of Proverbs is in the Bible to actually give us wisdom to move forward and be blessed. I use this story sometimes because it really makes me laugh because even uh, this is something that is, it is cultural as I'm teaching. It's how parents teach their children. And uh, many times to this day, it's why uh, Jewish families are so blessed. They've been taught culturally. And that's why you see so many Jewish families blessed. Part of the blessing of Abraham, but it's also the wisdom that they train their their families up with. And you've heard me tell the story about the stand-up comedian that was friends with Jerry Seinfeld when they both moved to New York City at the same time to start their stand-up career. And when they went, that that uh, the guy said, uh, "We moved there at the same time. We'd see each other at comedy clubs from time to time." He said, "But I had to. T- it took me forever. I looked all over New York City. I couldn't hardly find any good place to rent." because it was all so expensive and I was having issues and I didn't want to be outside the city and have to drive into the city or take a train. And he said, it was just forever. I, I was like a year and a half later. He said, a year and a half later, I ran into Jerry Seinfeld again. And I said, man, Jerry, I've been looking for a place to rent in the city um, for, for all this year and a half. It's so hard. He said, I can't hardly find a place to rent. He said, how about you? Have you found a place to rent? And he said, Seinfeld just looked at me and without missing a beat with a smirk on his face said, Jews don't rent. (laughs) Think about that. 
Jews don't rent. We own, we buy, we purchase. Jews don't rent. That was an excellent response from Jerry Seinfeld. We don't rent. Why? They've been taught the power of what it means to own. They've been taught culturally what it means to be blessed and how to be blessed. And that's the thing. There's something that you've been taught that many times you've got to break a fleshly mindset, whether it be eating, whether it be finance, whether it be relationship. Let's get into that for a minute. Well, I want you to understand my family, pray for me, brother Ted, because my family for the last four generations, marriages have all uh, ended in divorce, all of them. And so there's a, there's a divorce demon that's floating through our family. Just brother Ted, I want you to lay hands on me and curse that divorce demon. Why? There's no such thing as a divorce demon. There's not a divorce demon. Don't spiritualize things that are not spiritualizable. If that's a word. He purchased, <laughs> he bought Sheila. So don't, don't spiritualize that. Well, there's a divorce demon. Our relationships are being destroyed by a demon. No, they're not. They're being destroyed by your flesh. You know, one of the things that my wife and I had to learn early on is that when two people come into a marriage, they come in with expectations, They come in with expectations. You've heard us teach about this if you've heard us teach about marriage. People come in with expectations. What are the expectations? The expectations are how they saw their parents do things and how they learned that a marriage should work from those that went before them. And so she comes from a family where her father is extremely skilled in doing work and doing things that are hands-on, handyman, he can he can do plumbing, he could do electric, he could do he could do anything. He could do anything. He could build anything, he could make anything, he could fix anything. I mean, that's the kind of man he is. He anything he puts his hands on, he could fix it, make it better, work with it, understand it. But then she married a guy, me, not that I you know, couldn't do that. I I never say I can't do things. I can do all things, but naturally as a person, I'm not a handyman. I don't, that kind of stuff, you know, I, I, I don't do and haven't done those kinds of things. I can't do plumbing. I can't do electric, you know, talking about in the natural, it's just not my strong suit. I've never done it. I didn't grow up doing it. And so I don't, those aren't the skills that I've developed. Well, I've developed other skills. You understand? So coming in to the marriage, with a father that's wonderful that is able to do those things that I don't do, she had to learn, you know, don't expect Ted. I'll tell you one thing about her father. If he sees an issue, he's not going to wait. He'll fix it right now. Let's get that fixed. Let's run to Home Depot, get the parts, get it built, get it fixed, and get it back on track. Well, she she understood that's not the nature of my husband. I'm not, I'm not, what's, you know what my nature is? Let's Let's call somebody immediately to fix it and I'll pay them. I will pay them to fix it immediately. And so that's the difference. And so what have they, what has there been? There has been an expectation. Now she had to understand my husband in, in that respect is not like my father. And so I can come into this marriage and watch this because this is so important. I could come into this marriage and just get ticked off all the time 
that my husband won't, won't do. Why aren't you fixing the plumbing? How come you're not working on the electric? How come you're not doing it? Why aren't you fixing that? Why didn't you go to Home Depot and buy this and build that for that? She could get like that if she wanted to, or she could learn that I'm not like her father in that respect and just recognize that some things have to be altered when a relationship comes together. You have to learn how to deal with one another. You have to learn how to go from living on your own and doing your own stuff to living with somebody and learning how to uh, live with that person and peaceably live, live with them and have a wonderful marriage. And then for every husband that's listening to me, exactly, Kelly, that's what Carolyn's like. Carolyn, uh, as a result, is very handy. Carolyn is very handy. Um, I'm, I'm more technical. You know what I mean? So there, you have to learn how to deal with that. And then let me give you an example for every husband that's watching me, every husband hear what I say right now. Well, if we're going to talk about, we got generational curses. We got, there's a, there's a divorce demon. Fly. Let me, let me tell you something. Every husband that's listening to me, you are the priest and head of your home. God has given you authority. He has given you power to lead your home properly and to bring peace, love, and joy into your home. And it rests upon you. It truly does. If you want to know, and future husbands, that's right. If you want to know how to make a marriage problem-free, hitch-free, be a strong man who follows the word of God and does what the word of God says in regard to relationships. What does the Bible say husbands should do? Well, the Bible says they should work and they should work hard and they should provide for their families. And the Bible says any man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. That's what the Bible says. Any man who will not properly provide for his family is worse than an infidel. So a man should be a strong man who works hard and provides for his wife and his children. Without question, number one, of course, you should be a godly man. You should obey the word of God. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart. I'll tell you, number two, every man should put God first in his life above his wife and above his children. Because if that relationship's not right, then the others will not be right either. Put God first work hard, provide for your family. Number three, the third thing that's so very important is it has nothing to do with a divorce demon. This is just learned behavior and obedience to the word. Third thing that every husband should do that's listening and future husband is love your wife like Christ loves the church. That's Ephesians. What does that mean? It means an unconditional, selfless love. Christ loved you so much, he put you before himself. Put you before himself. What did he do? He was willing to be crucified and tortured and killed so that you could be free. That's what God said husbands should do for their wives. We should put them first. We should have a selfless love. Prefer them above ourselves. Every husband and future husband that's listening to me on this broadcast, if you want, there's no divorce demon. There's no relationship demon. People stand up in services. We curse every divorce demon. No, how about just do what the Bible says? 
Just do what the Bible says and love your wife like Christ loved the church. Prefer her above yourself. Everybody loves to get to the place. Wives, submit yourselves under your husbands as under the Lord. Everybody loves to preach that part, but read what the Bible says to the men. It says, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me tell you something. You ask any woman that's on this broadcast right now, it is not hard to submit yourself to a man who loves you and prefers you above himself, thinks of you first before he thinks of himself, prefers you first before he prefers himself. It is not hard to submit yourself to a man who loves you and puts you first. And the Lord knows that. He created us. So why do you think he gave us those two commands? Now, let me just say, wives and future wives, that doesn't mean you get to pick and choose when you submit to your husband. Well, I'll submit to him when he loves me like Christ loved the church. No, you'd be violating your command. And there are two commands that are both given to two separate individuals that both are responsible to follow. So even if your husband doesn't prefer you above himself and he's not fulfilling that yet, you still obey your part and submit yourself like a wife should, according to scripture. And pray for your husband and believe God that he will come to that place. But I'm speaking to husbands because I am a husband and I am a man. And we have the responsibility to guide our homes in peace, joy, and love. I, I take a heavy stance on this. And some may disagree with me, but I take a heavy stance. You know what the heavy stance is? If there's a problem in your home, it's your fault, husband. That's a heavy stance. If there's a problem in your home, it's your fault, husband. Well, what about my wife? What if she's doing something crazy? You should have seen it coming. You should have been connected to the Lord enough to know in your spirit what's happening in your own family. You should be able to sense what's happening in your wife's life and in her heart and in her emotions by the discerning of spirits. You should be so connected with your wife in covenant and you should be so connected to the power of God and the Holy Spirit that you can sense. Many husbands are checked out. They're checked out. They come home from, from work, uh, you know, kick their feet up and pop on ESPN Sports Center. They're checked out. They have no idea what's happening in their in their wife's spirit, in her heart, in her mind. They're checked out. And then they're all blown away when their wife's all ticked off about something or they're blown away when the wife has an issue or a problem. Don't be blown away. How about be connected when it's important to connect? And know by the spirit of God, that's what prayer, that's what the power of prayer does. That's exactly right, Brandon. America has tried to make men less of men tried to make us like we're stupid, you know, emasculate us, make us, you know, and, and I'm telling you, hear what I say. It's important. Your wife is more important than sports center. You understand? She's more important. You should know in your spirit. You should be so connected to the Lord in prayer and have a feel of what's going on in your home. If something's up with your kids, you shouldn't have to find out from a guidance counselor. You shouldn't have to find out from the principal of your school. You shouldn't have to find out, you know, because a parent called you and said, do you know what your kid just said? If there's something up with your kids, you should feel it first. I shared it 
shared the story with you uh, a couple of a couple of uh, weeks ago when my daughter Madeline, who's a phenomenal daughter, I never have issues with my daughter or my, any of my kids. You know, we're, we're training them up right. But I had a I had a thing where you know she's getting older, and she's she's on her iPad, and we're trying to give her a little bit more freedom now that she's ten and teaching her to listen to her spirit and all that. <clears throat> but I started noticing that if I'd come into the room and she was on her iPad sometimes, she'd get a little jumpy and she'd, you know, she'd start acting different and maybe flip, you know, swipe up and get, get out of whatever program program she was in. And, uh, I started to notice something's up, something's up with her. And I knew it wasn't gonna be anything bad because she's a good girl, but I start, I started to notice in my spirit, something's going on, something's up. And so I sat and talked with her. And I said, I know something's going on. Something's up with you. I said, what, what is it that you don't want me to see on your iPad that, you know, you, you, every time I come in, you get all jumpy and you swipe out and you get rid of something and you're being sneaky. What is it that you're, that you're looking at? And she started to tear up and she said, well, and I had already outlined and her mom had outlined rules for her. We're protecting her. I don't want my kids on normal YouTube yet because there's all kinds of crazy stuff that you could see and find on YouTube that I don't want my kids seeing at 10 and six and three. And so um, they, they, they want, they're restricted to kids YouTube. There's a, in case you don't know as a parent, obviously you probably do, but there's a separate app for kids, kids YouTube, and those things have to be okay for kids. We still monitor that because there's been a couple things that have slipped through the cracks. And she liked this family. They're Christians that have a channel that do like a vlog. And she said, well, I was watching that she said, but um, they don't have all of their episodes of, of their vlog on the kids' YouTube channel because some of them are, are only on regular YouTube. And she said, you, you took, you don't, I don't have YouTube app on my, on my iPad. She said, so I, I was going on Safari and I was the, the web browser and I was going on to, to the YouTube's website and watching their videos on regular YouTube, adult YouTube. And so she knew it was wrong because her mom and I had already told her that she, they, they weren't to go on YouTube. But she, she, she told me the reason I was being like that is because I was going on the web and going on regular YouTube and watching their channel. Well, they're a Christian family. They're, she's not watching bad stuff. She just knew I'm not supposed to be on regular YouTube. But see, I sensed that. I knew something was wrong in my spirit. I knew she was trying to hide something. You've got to be connected to your family. And I just talked to her. I said, listen, that's okay. If you want, if you're watching something we've approved and you know, that's all fine, but you can't find the episodes anywhere else except I said, that's fine. Just ask me or ask mommy. And we'll say, you know, that's fine. You can go on regular YouTube for that purpose to watch the Christian family as long as that's what you're doing. And so, you know, you have to, but in order to have those conversations, in order to guide your children in that area, you have to be sensitive in your spirit, not just walking through the room onto the next thing, never paying attention to what's going on. You've got to be sensitive about your wife, husbands, about your children, husbands, and you're responsible to raise the children up and to guide and help your wife and protect her and strengthen her and love her and keep her. You see that? It's so important. And that kind of love, it leads. Love leads. Please get that. 
I want you to write it in the comments, every person that's watching. I'm getting ready to pray for you, but love leads. These aren't generational curses we're talking about. These are not issues of uh, some demon spirit floating through and there's been six generations of divorce. No, how about stop learning to sling names back and forth if there's, if there's anger? How about learning how to control your temper? How about learning how to walk in love even when you're angry? How about learning how to engage a spirit of peace in your home? Engage, you know, you got to make up in your mind. This will not be a house where we allow, uh, this is not going to be a house where we allow bickering, complaining. We're not going to bash other people. We're not going to allow gossip in this home, fighting, issues. We cut it off and we declare this is a home of peace. This is a home of joy. If you value the things that keep a relationship together, then put safeguards in place that keep those elements in the home and keep everything else out. If we got people that we know carry that kind of a spirit, we don't invite them over. Well, here comes drama, drama and his wife over here coming over for dinner. I don't hang with people like that. I'm so guarded about my personal family that I don't even let that nonsense around my family. If we know people that all they are is drama and issues and problems, I'm not having them over for dinner all the time. It's not my job to fix everybody. I'm not their fixer. Let the Holy Ghost do that. Let a, let a pastor do that. I'm not, I'm not their counselor. I'm not supposed to fix every problem that's in the body of Christ. My first responsibility is to take care of this family. And so you know what I'm doing? I'm going to create an atmosphere where they can flourish. I'm going to create an atmosphere where they can flourish. And husbands, you've got the ability. Wives, you've got the ability. Some of you, I know there's single mothers watching. You got to learn, Ruth. If the drama is your mother-in-law, you've got to learn to set boundaries. Learn to set boundaries. And many people have to do that, especially when culture gets in. You get into other, you get into Puerto Rican culture. You get into, I mean, I could go through them. I could go through all of them where the mother-in-law, you get into Jamaican culture, you know, Trinidadian culture, uh, and the mother-in-laws and the father-in-laws have a lot of say among the, on the children, even after they're married, moved out and have their own kids, and it causes friction, and it does. And you got to learn that the mother-in-law is not the head of your home, father-in-law is not the head of your home, you and your husband are the head of the home. And you have to make uh, decisions to guard that peace, and you've got to put boundaries in place. I think it was Dr. Henry Cloud that wrote the book Boundaries, but somebody look it up real quick and put it in the comments, put the Amazon link maybe in the comments. Uh, the book is called Boundaries. You have to learn to do that. The Bible says that there will come a time where the husband or the will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. You leave your father and mother. You don't stay with them. They're not, it's not the same as when you were living under their roof. And it's not the same as when they were, you were their dependent. You've left, you're an adult, and now you cleave to your husband and the husband cleaves to his wife and you begin your own family that is free from the, the ties that would try to come in and manipulate you. And they can put on a sad face and try to manipulate your emotions. And Well, I thought you appreciated. Dr. Henry Cloud and Townsend, there's the book, Boundaries, Boundaries, Henry Cloud. And so it's worth reading because people need to understand how to have boundaries. If you don't, people will walk all over the freedom of your home. They'll come in, spill their guts. Somebody's always at your house. Doesn't matter how much you love them. They're not supposed to be there every day. 
Men don't have, don't go out with my best friends. I'm out with my best friends on a Tuesday night. My wife keeps bothering me. Your wife is your best friend. My, me and my girlfriends go out and my, and my husband's always trying to have me. No, you don't have friends that are better friends than your husband. You don't have better friends than, than are your wife. That's the problem. People start putting others above and beyond. Well, he needs to understand that my girl's nights and we do, and he, no, you need to understand that he's number one. He needs to understand you're number one. Got to have boundaries. You got to learn how to cut it off. Some of the issues people battle in their marriages and in their families and their lives has nothing to do with a demon, has to do with the fact that they don't take control of the blessing God gave them, which is marriage and children. Take control of it. Guide it, guard it. I don't let people come into my house and start dictating what's going on in my house. It's not their business to do that. I'm the head of the home. God gave that responsibility to me. Because let me tell you something. When it comes to the end of time and I stand before the Lord, he's not going to judge what somebody else came into my house and did with my children or taught them. I'll be the one that has to be answering to the Lord, answering to the Father for what I did with my wife and my children. It's my responsibility. And so I take it seriously, and so should you. Because not it's not a divorce demon that's flying through generations. It's not a money demon that's flying through generations. It's not a diabetes demon that's flying through generations. And I'm not saying that there's not any such thing as a spirit of infirmity. There is. There is. But what I'm saying is the majority of people, they're not making the decisions that line up with God's word that keep them in perfect peace. You can't be cursed because God's blessed you. This might be one of the most important broadcasts I've done in a while because people need to understand that it's more than just spiritualizing everything. You have to take actions of obedience that will lead you into victory. I like that. Kenneth says, you can't grow to where you want to go until you set boundaries over what you have. I love it. You can't grow to where you want to go until you set boundaries over what you have. Exactly right. Exactly right. You have to know. You have to know. And you have to set it in place. I want to pray for you, those of you that are watching. Because I know there's people that are battling. I know there's people that need help. But it's not just, you know, I thank God for spiritual victory. But listen to me. You, you say, well, you're, you're minimizing the power of spiritual, spiritual. No, I'm not. I'm not minimizing the power of the Holy Ghost. But think of how stupid this is. I'm, I'll give you an extreme example. It, it'd be like if you came in every day, put your thumb on the table, and took a hammer and banged it three times, and then through the day just prayed in the Spirit. Said, now, God, heal my thumb. Heal my thumb, Lord Jesus. Oh, I thank you for supernatural healing power. Heal my thumb. And then the next morning, you went back to the kitchen, thumb on the table, three more smashes with a hammer. Oh, God, heal the thumb. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Heal the thumb, Lord. And then every day, smashing the thumb. It's what people are doing to their body. They smash their body daily and then say, oh, God, give me healing. Oh, God. They smash their finances daily. Oh, God, bless my finances. They smash their relationships daily. Oh, God, bless my relationships. It's not about spiritual power only. It's about taking and walking by faith and using wisdom from the word of God to see victory in your life on a daily basis. Victory comes through wisdom, through wisdom. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. It doesn't say we walk by signs and wonders and miracles and not by sight. It says we walk by faith. Faith is actions that obey God's word. That's what faith is. Faith is taking actions that are in obedience to God's word. That's faith. And that's what will bring you into victory. 
So I want to pray for you. But I want to pray that it'll open up our spirit and our mind. I believe that teaching today did that for you. Thank you, Zach. That you understand that it's more than just believing for a miracle and expecting the Holy Ghost to come in with victory in the spirit. No, no. It's more than that. It's the word of God in action in your life. Wisdom is the principal thing the Bible says. Father, I pray for every person that's watching live or on the replay or listening on the podcast. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would give us not only a hunger to read your word and understand it, but I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us all supernatural wisdom beyond our years. Your word says in James 1.5 that if we would just ask you, if we lack wisdom, we could ask you and you would give it to all men and women liberally and not rebuke them for asking. So today we're asking you, Lord, to give us wisdom Give us wisdom by your spirit beyond our years. Wisdom, things we may, may have never learned. Let your Holy Spirit teach us for your word says he is the teacher. We have no need that any man should teach us, but the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. So Lord, speak to us. Give us wisdom. Wisdom regarding our physical health. Wisdom regarding our finances. Wisdom regarding our relationships. Lord, use us in these final moments of time. We thank you that our bodies will be made whole. We thank you that we'll be financially blessed to be a blessing to others, to be generous and to push the gospel forward. We thank you, Lord, that our relationships will flourish. Our husbands and our wives will see the change in our lives and that our, our relationships, our marriages will flourish and be everlasting. They will never end in divorce in Jesus' name. Our children will be raised up in strength and in victory and will be victorious in every area of their life as we impart that wisdom to the next generation. We thank you, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And if you believe it, somebody throw some hands up in the comments section and thank God that it is done in Jesus' name. I know I've kept you a little long today, but it was worth it. It's important broadcast, and I want to encourage you to sow a seed. If you've not done so, I want you to sow. I saw some people that were already sowing today. People already uh, put their seed in the ground, and we thank you for it. And thank you to those that are partnering with us. But I want you to hear, I want you to hear um, that there's something God wants to do. One of the things that I was talking about, we, we talk about the fact that people say, well, I, there's just been a demon attacking my finances. There ain't no demon attacking your finances. There's no demon attacking your finances. You are in Christ. How can the devil attack your finances? But if you're seeing yourself in a place where you're not blessed to where you want to be blessed, take a look. Are you obeying what the word of God says we should do financially to walk in financial blessing? Are you tithing? Are you giving? Are you sowing seed? See, if not, God has nothing to bless. He doesn't bless what's left over. He doesn't bless what you don't give. He multiplies, the Bible says, what you do give. And so today, I'm encouraging you to sow a seed by faith, a seed that literally propels you. I said this yesterday, every harvest is called by a seed. It comes in by a seed. Thank you, Kelly. Comes in by a seed. And so I want to encourage those of you that are watching, if you're on uh, Twitter, Periscope, or Facebook, you can use hashtag donate in the comments to sow your seed. You can always use Cash App in the United States. You can use PayPal, Venmo. The easiest way to sow to this ministry is to go to miracleword.com and click on the donate or the give button. But I want to encourage you that are watching to partner with us. 
We're believing God, and we've asked him, and you know we have. We've asked God to connect us with people who believe in this end-time vision, that God will touch this generation before it's too late. I wouldn't get on here, especially twice a day, and pour out my heart and teach you and spend time praying for you if I didn't care about this generation. We not only care, we love this generation and are believing to see God touch us supernaturally. And you play a great part in that. Two powerful things happen when you sow your seed. Number one, you're blessed. You overflow. But number two, it allows this message of the gospel to get to people that may not have heard the word of faith like you're hearing today. It blesses them. So you get to be blessed personally and you get to bless others. You get two for one. Amen. And so I want to encourage you, those that are watching, take a moment, consider, pray and ask the Lord, am I one of those that Ted and Carolyn have prayed for to join them in partnership at $85 a month or more, $1,000 a year or more, and believe. And if God speaks to you, do it. If you don't feel you're to be one of those, no pressure. We love you. We're not forcing or pressuring anybody, but we're giving you the opportunity to be connected to this miracle ministry as we're stepping out in faith to see God change a generation before it's too late. And of course, I told you this month, if you're partnering with us, we're sending you this book, which I love, The End by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. It's a complete overview of Bible prophecy, 530 pages of answers to your questions. Man, it's one of the best books I've ever read and the best book on Bible prophecy that I've ever read. You'll love this. And it'll be a great addition to your library and a phenomenal study tool for you on end times Bible prophecy. That's what we're sending to every part person that partners in the month of April uh, and stands with us. And of course, those that are sowing a thousand or more, we're sending you the beautiful life application study Bible in genuine leather, one of my favorite new Bible study tools. And so I want to say thanks. Thanks to those that are standing with us. Once again, don't forget tonight, got a special surprise for you tonight and tomorrow night, the final two sessions of the Spirit of Faith series, tonight and tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern time, literally in less than an, less than two hours, we're going to have the uh, Kids Miracle Word Live Craft Party. We want you to be a part of it. If you just logged on, we want you to be a part of this with your children. Uh, we'll be airing live here on Facebook and YouTube, and we want you to interact with us on Zoom. If you don't know what Zoom is, it's a video conferencing app you can get for your phone or tablet or on your computer. Right there on the screen is the Zoom ID that you need to join that live video conference where we can see you, you can see us, you can talk to us, we can talk to you like a FaceTime. 572-871-0616. That is the ID that will let you join our party interactive in an interactive way. And then, of course, if you don't want to just join to, to interact that way, you can always watch on Facebook and YouTube. All of your supplies that you'll need for the craft party can be find, found at MiracleWordKids.com and you can download it for free and come be a part of it with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. It airs at 2 p.m. Eastern time, about an hour and a half. So you got your time to um, get what you need and uh, get Zoom downloaded on your phone or tablet or computer and pop that in. Uh, we'll also send an email to you. That, that Zoom ID is important because it allows you uh, to join the to instantly join the the video conference, and so we want to see you there. It's going to be awesome, and I'm looking forward to it. And don't forget, by the way, this is so exciting to me. 
Uh, the new book is getting ready to ship to you. The printer has it. They're printing it right now. Um, further, faster. I thank God it is done and out the door and coming to your house. And it's on the force of impartation, the study of the force of impartation, how to accelerate your purpose through the force of impartation. And then uh, if you've not gotten a chance to pre-order it yet, go to shop.miracleword.com and you can get your copy of Further Faster that'll be shipping in just about a couple of weeks. And I'm so, so excited that it's done and ready to go. I can't wait to hear back from you guys. And I know you'll enjoy it. It's going to build your faith and show you some things you've never seen before. I love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me. We'll see you again in literally just about an hour and a half. Carolyn and the kids will be back for the craft party. Hope you enjoyed it today. I love you. I'll see you tonight as well, 7 o'clock. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, yes. Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I said, are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I got to say this again tonight. Oh, I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. We're the book of action. We are still the same. Worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I am unashamed. We're the book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. Read the book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name, we're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. We've been known to get wild, let our hair hang down. Drink till we get merry, rolling on the ground. We cranked up the music, danced all around. Shouting hallelujah as his glory came down. It's just our style, the way we do our thing. That kind in Jesus' name I'm a Pentecostal I am unashamed We're the book of Agam We are still the same We worship God the Father Lift up Jesus' name We're Holy Ghost and fire In every way I'm a Pentecostal I am unashamed Still the same, we worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name, we're Holy Ghost and fire. Can I say it again? Come on, clap those hands. Sound like camp meeting in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case you didn't hear me, we've been known to get wild. Let our hair hang down. Drink till we get merry, rolling on the ground. We cranked up the music, danced all around. Shouting hallelujah as his glory came down. It's just our style, the way we do our thing. We're the Pentecostals, baptized in Jesus' name. Shame. We don't look at that. We are.
the Holy Ghost. It's a good night to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Would you lift your hands all over this house? Oh. Say what I say. Fill me up with the Holy Ghost. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.